today on Ag News Daily. That's what's nice is a lot of these manufacturers are taking a hard look at the technology, but they're making the cash for long days of comfort. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Today's Tech Tuesday is, of course, sponsored by our partners at HTS Ag. They're doing some great things for Precision Agriculture, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But I am, of course, Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. I tell you what, I saw something that in most years would be a good sign. But coming after 2019, I'm not so sure that it is. Last night in downtown Chicago, we had thunderstorms, the first of the year. Spring is here. Spring is here. This has been probably one of the nicest days, really one of the nicest spring days we've had yet this year. What is the actual spring date, though? I'm not sure I know that off the top of my head. April 20-something? April 21st, maybe, is uh, chronological spring, but meteorological spring is... April 1st? No, March 1st. Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah, it's a nice day. It's a nice day to be outside, at least here in central Iowa. And that's enough, in my opinion, to uh, brighten some moods. Well, hopefully. And we had positive news on the market front. And we had positive news, potentially, on the coronavirus front. So maybe things are turning a corner, Delaney Hell. Maybe so. Tell us the positive news on the coronavirus front, Mike. Well, it is still kind of being double-checked and everything, but experts are saying this last weekend might have been the peak of the coronavirus spread. So it's still going to spread. More people are going to get infected, but it's the peak of the rate of spreading, I guess is a better way to put it. Now the infection rate should start to slow down. People should be able to, you know, get in and out of hospitals without concerns of overriding ventilators. And that what was kind of discussed yesterday a little bit. There's some studies over the weekend that maybe show this. This is all very, you know, maybe so far. We still don't have enough tests, blah, 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 blah. But it got the markets fired up. It got the equity markets fired up yesterday. They came back again today on fire. That helped carry a lot of markets higher. Crude oil went higher, which helped lift corn. We'll talk about that when we get to the markets. And the meat markets all screamed higher on the day. Um, So that was the good news there on the coronavirus front that carried over into positive news for a lot of our producer friends. Well, I'm going to continue on with the meat market news. I thought this was interesting. I got a hold of this from some folks who work with quality liquid feeds doing a beef market update. And I thought this was just absolutely fascinating because we saw the last two weeks of March, the number of calves and yearlings moving through Midwest sale barns dropped to a third of the normal level. So we're continuing to see consumers chew through meat, literally, or at least stockpile it, but we're seeing a really big slowdown from a sale barn perspective. The volume was able to rebound to normal levels this past week, the kind of week heading into the beginning of April, but really the last two weeks of March saw some pretty steep declines for Midwest sale barns. And so what is the Midwest in that study? Is it like uh, South Dakota through to Oklahoma, Kansas, and Iowa and Illinois? Okay. That's a good question. So it is Iowa, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Missouri, Minnesota, I think kind of the states that you would assume are part of the Midwest. Okay, basically the the corn belt, for lack of a yes. better word. 
Yep. Okay. All right. Well, very cool. I mean, that's that's strange. I heard similar stories out of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City feed yards or stockyards rather. And, you know, I think just a lot of folks were you know, sheltering in place. I mean, they just weren't hauling calves. They just weren't getting up and around and they weren't sure if sale barns were going to be open. And there was a lot of frustration there. And I, it makes sense. It'd show up in the numbers. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of showing up in the numbers, we've been talking for a while about how China is going to need to import beans because they just don't have enough to meet their supply. Well, we got another indication that that may indeed be the case. Sinograin, uh, or Sinograin, which is the basically Chinese government-owned stockpiling operation, they hold all of the grains that are in stockpiles in China. Earlier today, they released a half a million metric tons from the National Soybean Reserve to Kafko, the, the big Chinese government-owned uh, soybean crusher, as Kafko is having trouble sourcing beans. So this tells us that as of right now, it appears that China is more willing to draw down their national supplies than really bid aggressively for American beans or even Brazilian beans that are coming on the line right now and uh, and maybe drive prices back up. It certainly looks like they're just waiting for prices to keep coming down before they try to step in and, and make their their deals and you know fulfill their $40 billion obligations. So apparently they do need beans. The question is, when will they come to our shores, I suppose? Yeah, and I think that that was echoed, that concern that perhaps they're not going to be coming anytime soon to the U.S. shores was echoed by the Farm Bureau as well as USDA this week. There were kind of a couple different tweets and reports that came out, including a statement released by American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist John Newton. He tweeted out earlier this week, or yesterday, I guess we're only on Tuesday here, but he tweeted out yesterday that... Some analysis they, they've put together along with the forecasts done by USDA are showing that China is lagging far behind what they need to finish up this fiscal year at just $14.5 billion, as opposed to what was the original amount, like 21, 22, 23. So far behind where we expected or wanted them to be as part of the phase one trade deal. And as of now... U.S. ag exports are only about halfway there at about $7.2 billion. So they said our current pace would put us behind and put us between 10 and $11 billion for this total fiscal year. So China really needs to come up and step up to the plate to hit that $14.5 billion mark. Yeah, they do. And they're going to have to do it fairly quickly. Delaney, was there any indication as to whether or not they thought this actually might get done? No, they didn't really go on to say anything about that, but they just said, you know, this is very fast. Historically, compared to years prior, this is a lot that China has to bring in. And so physically, will they be able to do it? I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, a lot of questions remain unanswered when we look at China. They certainly do. But one question that also remains unanswered is for U.S. dairy producers. This hit the pipelines yesterday, and I'm a little bit still shell-shocked after reading through this article because it sounds a little bit like the quota system that Canada uses. And for so long, I know the U.S. has been avidly opposed to that, especially dairy producers. But we saw the National Milk Producers Federation and the International Dairy Foods Association jointly wrote a letter and a statement to the USDA asking them to rescue the industry from the impacts of COVID-19. 
They specifically, Mike, put together what was called the Milk Crisis Plan. And so under this plan, producers will be paid $3 per hundredweight on 90% of their production only if they cut their production by 10% from levels in March of 2020. And so this program would run essentially for six months until about September. And so it's really to dwindle down the milk supply for the next six months. But I mean, if that's not the same system that Canada uses, it's pretty dang close, isn't it? Well, um, no, Canada, there's no, I, I guess it's kind of similar. We, We'd have to go into a long discussion to really get into it. And we'd really need a good Canadian dairy producer, somebody up there to really walk us through the fine points. But it, it is a way to reduce production. I mean, that's certainly what they're looking for there. And then the question becomes, how do you monitor it? And I guess we just have to wait and see if this thing gains any traction. Absolutely. But uh, sounds like they're getting a lot of pressure put on them. I mean, those are two of the top milk organizations and so i don't know we'll have to continue to watch that story yeah that's going to be something that's going to be popping up throughout the year unless dairy prices really rebound if china were to step in or something crazy were to happen oh boy the dairy producers need a hand they certainly do well we've got uh, maybe a hand coming from washington yet again for small businesses. And the reason I bring this up is because Delaney, remind me, is it tomorrow we're going to be talking to Glenn Birnbaum? Well, he's scheduled for tomorrow, so I suppose we could play that interview tomorrow. Okay, well, let's do it. It's tax time. It's, you know, all this money's falling out of D.C. We've got to figure out how we can get our hands on it, Delaney Howell. I suppose um, that's true. But Secretary, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin said earlier today he is going to seek an additional $250 billion to support small businesses hurt by this economic slowdown. Um, he's been speaking with lawmakers from both parties regarding this proposal, proposal and the additional money, and now it's just a matter of, I guess, getting it codified and, and getting out there. It sounds like it's got some traction, and I bring that up because, as Delaney has mentioned several times, a lot of times farmers and farms can count as small businesses that can be eligible for these types of loans, and we'll check in with Glenn on that tomorrow. Yeah, and I think we are supposed to get a little more clarification today, so that's why Glenn wanted to hold off until we had a little more clarity from the administration on how these PPP or payment, excuse me, paycheck protection programs work, but uh, there's still a lot of clarity I think that's lacking as well as just the, the system, the actual physical infrastructure that they have online has had a lot of glitches. And I've talked to some bankers on Twitter and texting and whatnot that have said that they've tried to log in and help producers with the PPP program because you have to go through a banker who's set up to enroll you in this program. It's not something that you can just go and do by yourself. You have to go through a banker for this PPP program. Oh, interesting. Okay, so there's some, some gatekeepers to get, yes. get into it. That's a good way to put it, but yes. For today's Tech Tuesday sponsorship, we're thanking our partners over at HTS Ag. And to give us a little more information on HTS, I've got Adam Gittins, who is the general manager. Adam, tell me a little bit about the priority you guys place on superior customer service over there at HTS. Absolutely, Delaney. The technology that farmers run in the field is only as good as the service and support that is behind it. We strive to have the most highly trained technical staff available when farmers are in the field and need it. 
and we make it available to them at times that others maybe don't. So we offer extended hours of support. We have a uh, built-in phone system that allows for rotation to make sure that they get someone no matter what time they're calling from 7 in the morning to 10 at night, six days a week, and even extended hours available on Sundays. So we really strive and push on having the best service available. I absolutely second to none. Well, again, that was Adam Gittin, their general manager at HTS Ag. To find out more information, head to www.htsag.com. Hmm. Well, Delaney Howe, I tell you what, I don't have much other news. I mean, really, the coronavirus thing has been occupying most of my day, and hopefully it's coming to an end. But do you have any other stories before we jump into the markets and start chatting with Chad Colby on this Tech Tuesday? I don't think I do, Mike. Fantastic. Well, let's read through some green on the screen, which we haven't seen in a little while. That was a lot of rhyming words right there, but let's jump into the grains here. As we take a look at the corn market, the May corn contract was up three and three quarter cents to finish at three thirty one and a half. December new crop up two and a half to close at three fifty and three quarters. In soybeans, the May was down a quarter penny to finish at eight fifty five and a quarter. November new crop up a half a cent to close the day at eight sixty five and three quarters. Wheat was really the only grain down on the day as coronavirus fears leave then the pressure at the grocery store for milling wheat could fall away and that led to weakness in the complex. May was down five and a quarter cents at 5.50 and a quarter. December down a penny, finished the day at 5.59 even. Looking over at the world of livestock, and I tell you what, if you are a cattle feeder, a cow calf producer, or a hog feeder, Boy, we've finally got some good news for you. April live cattle trading on expanded limits today. They were limit up, up to expanded 450 trading limit to close at 88.32 half. The June also limit up today at 84.80. Feeder cattle, same story across the board, not trading expanded limits today. So they're just on their standard limit. The April was up 450 at 114.92 and a half. The May also limit up at 113.80. And lean hogs, same story. The April contract limit up. Three dollars higher to close at forty-four twelve and a half. The May three dollars higher, closing the day at forty-eight thirty-seven fifty. And even dairy producers got a little bit of a lifeline day. Big moves in dairy and to the upside. April contract up twenty-six cents on the day to close at fourteen fourteen. With the May up seventy-five, finishing at twelve fifty-eight. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our friend, Mr. Chad Colby. Welcome for next Tuesday today. We are talking to Mr. Chad Colby. Chad is the ag tech guru. He's, you've seen him everywhere. He does a whole lot of stuff. He travels around the country, farms, and he looks at what is new in agriculture technology. And Chad was recently out at Con Expo, the construction expo out in Vegas. And Chad, what did you see out there? You know, Mike, it was a pretty neat show. I'd never been, if you haven't heard of it. It's a construction show that happens every three years. So, it's one of the biggest in the world. In fact, it's the biggest in North America. It's a monster. But, um, you know, just so much new tech from a standpoint, you know, on the construction side. But for me, I was looking at stuff that, you know, has some connection to agriculture. And there was sure a lot of it. Like what? Give us an example of what is some construction technology that moves into ag other than like skid loaders. Well, that's just it. There was some new stuff there on the skid loader side. John Deere had built some new stuff. They had actually a dozer blade attachment that you can put on any skid loader you might have at the farm. And it also has the technology to make the controls 
of the skid loader works like a dozer. So that was pretty neat. Case IH, or not case IH, but it'd be the case construction side of uh, that organization showed the first backhoe that, that's fully battery powered, like a Tesla of backhoes. So that was, that was pretty humbling to see firsthand. Well, Chad, it sounds like uh, sounds like you're working out in the fields or somewhere today. But uh, <laughs> as you look at here domestically, 2019 was obviously a very wet, very uh, hard year for a lot of farmers. Did you see any technology or have you seen any technology that's hitting the pipeline this year that was developed after last year's just crazy year we had? Well, I think one thing that we all learned from last year, guys are starting to you know, make investments in equipment and things on their farm that can really get back to helping them be more efficient. Um, I know several guys that bought a second planter this year. I know a lot of guys that made some enhancements to their planter so they can actually travel faster in the speed, in the field, have a high-speed planter. It's just guys paying a little closer attention, obviously, to the budgets, but looking at forms of technology that can really help the bottom line, if you will. And there's been quite a bit of that. I think the thing I've noticed is just guys are really, I don't want to say excited to get to the field, but just really ready to get to the field physically. The equipment's ready. They're ready to go. I'm in central Illinois right now um, at basically Interstate 80 by Princeton, Illinois, um, out in the field. And guys are just really getting going over here. A little bit of planting, some guys playing with some soybeans, getting started. Um, but a lot of field activity, guys out fixing tiles, lots of fertilizer and uh, chemicals going on, that type of thing. But uh, it's just it's just great, especially with all the uh, apprehensive and, and stress that we all have gotten in our lives here as of late. Uh, the ag industry is uh, really looking forward to getting busy, should I say that? Absolutely. They're looking forward to getting busy. And Chad, you mentioned some of those farmers out there already already are rocking and rolling. And a lot of those tractors are autonomous. They've got uh, GPS. They've got you know auto steer. There's no hands on the wheel most of the time. And I imagine at Con Expo, you saw some of that moving into the construction industry as well, or maybe moving back to agriculture. Yeah. I, the thing I did see that was pretty impressive, and Caterpillar's had it for a long time in the mining side, and that's those big trucks that operate autonomously. Well, Caterpillar debuted some technology that's available for retail now where you can operate a bulldozer or a wheel loader with a remote control, kind of like you're, you know, flying a drone, or they also have it where you can have a remote base station. So basically it's uh, it's like having your own simulator at home to run a bulldozer, except you might be running a bulldozer on the other side of the planet. And uh, they had that there. It was pretty neat. I got to run a bulldozer that was actually in Peoria while I was in Vegas and they had a wheel loader that was in North Carolina that you could run. So it was really neat to see some of that technology firsthand. Mike, I don't know how much of that will make its way to agriculture. Certainly, um, I think that's a, a long ways down the road. But I think the part about the technology, when you start talking about autonomy, that doesn't necessarily mean no one in the cab. It means systems that can operate and self-adjust on the fly. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that over the next handful of years. And Chad, you travel all over the country, all over the world, really looking at different technologies as related to agriculture and construction, and I'm sure other industries as well. When you look at this type of autonomous equipment or setups, how many years are we talking here before we see some widespread adoption in the farming crowd? Well, you got to remember, if you you bought a new combine or you're in the market to buy a new combine, 
um, the last two years and moving forward, you can buy that automation, if you would, for your combine today. We're talking about buy your favorite red or green combine, push a button, and as it goes through the field, the machine will self-adjust. Well, that's, that's, that is part of autonomy, right? Where a machine is making the adjustments based on how the machine's working. And I think that's kind of that first step of, of autonomous equipment is stuff that can make decisions on its own. Make, you know, call it, you know, you can find some, some little word for it, you know, machine learning and all that fun stuff. But I think the technology that's going to really help farmers is when you start having a, decisions like that can, that can directly affect the bottom line. You know, if you put a good combine operator in a cab, well, that's one thing. Well, you could put an average combine operator in the cab and use this automation, and he does just as good a job as a 20-year a veteran. That's a big deal for farmers at scale. So it's going to be exciting. You know, farming historically has always been a little bit slow to adoption. Typically, it's about five years. So when something comes out that's new and exciting, it takes about five years to adapt. I'll give you an example. I was uh, Like Mike, I do a lot of speaking around the country. And this winter, I was at a, an event, and I asked show of hands who had bought a late model combine in the last year in, at a meeting. And about 20 guys raised their hand. And I asked that group, how many of you spent the extra $20,000 to add the automation to your combine? Mike, I'll let you guess. How many people do you think raised their hand? I'm going to guess 85%. Not one of them. Hmm. What? So not one of them, because if you're sitting with your machinery dealer and you're getting ready to buy your new combine and a guy says, hey, Mike, on your next new combine for $20,000, you can get this new automation. Let me show you how it works. The farmers are going to go, eh, you know what, I'll just keep what I have. I'll, I'll just, you know what I mean? I'm going to pass on that option. So again, that's year two of that technology. We're not to year five yet. And I think that's the, that's the challenge in ag is, is, let the technology get proven, and then farmers will adapt. But typically, um, it's a slow process. Chad, you know, one of the things, even though we're moving potentially drivers out of the cabs, we're still seeing a lot of input on or influence on cab comforts. What did you see in construction at Con Expo that uh, made a construction worker's life a little more comfortable that maybe we'll see in agriculture? Well, you'll love this, Mike. One of the first things I saw at Con Expo is Case IH had their new Steiger there. The one that just debuted at uh, uh, Monte Carlo, and the first thing I did was jump up in that new cab because it's so redesigned and so well defined with a lot of new amenities, if you would. And I think that's that's what's nice is a lot of these manufacturers are taking a hard look at the technology, but they're making the cabs for long days of comfort, right? Kind of like automobiles, you know, your favorite car, or truck you might drive. Wow, they changed a lot in the last 10 years and so is our equipment. And Chad, the other thing I want to ask you or pick your brain on is this COVID-19 pandemic. I think it's going to change a lot of industries, a lot of the way we do things for other industries, especially those where there's a lot of consumer facing or people interacting with consumers. Do you see any sort of changes happening for agriculture, though, in the aftermath of COVID-19? Well, the one thing I'm already noticing in ag that's really going to start to ramp up even more, it's just simply how we communicate. Um, obviously, we can't do it face-to-face, which that's an ag thing, right? I mean, Mike, you know this, you've spent a, a lifetime in it as well, is farmers like handshakes, and they like to be firsthand. They like to be, you know, right there close to the action. And 
for a lot of reasons right now, we can't do that. And I think you're seeing companies, regardless of what that is, if it's your, if it's your favorite ag retailer, whether that's machinery or fertilizer or chemical, they're having to learn how to operate in truly a different manner. And I think, Delaney, when we look back um, from this as the quote smoke clears, I think you're going to see that a lot of these industries, the way we communicate is truly going to change forever. Well, Ted, communication is something you excel at. If our listeners want to keep listening to you, hearing you out, how can they get in touch with you? How can they keep up on what the Chad Colby is communicating? <laughs> well, listen, I've uh, shared this to some colleges and a lot of high schools. If you go to my website, uh, colbyagtech.com, and you go up to the top, there's a media button. You hit This Week in Agribusiness. There's over 100 episodes of the tech segment that we've had on there the last couple of years. So if you're looking for the latest and greatest, we do our best to share that every week on the TV show. And uh, if you ever got any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me pretty much anywhere. Find Mike Pierce, and I'm usually around there somewhere with Mike, too. So, Mike, we appreciate everything you do on the TV show as well, my friend. Hey, I love doing it, Chad. I love being able to help out working with Max and Orion. It's really uh, really a heck of an opportunity. And I love to get to hear what's new on the technology I might be able to afford in 30 years. Chad, that's coming from you. (laughs) Well, sorry, I was a little uh, pulled away, not quite as, uh, or- as quite as organized as our normal business today. I'm literally in a uh, big old uh, corrugator sprayer, and I've got 1,600-gallon tanks behind me, and I'm actually going through the field right now at about 18 miles an hour managing this big old rig today. So, uh, fun day for me to do some social distancing inside this cab. So, appreciate visiting with you guys today. Well, I always enjoy talking to Chad. He's always got some interesting insights and his finger on the pulse of what is happening when it comes to technology and agriculture, Delaney. Absolutely. But we also have our finger on the pulse, Mike, of things happening, not just in the technology sector, but all across agriculture. You can find us online to listen to any of the past episodes that you might want to catch up on, including some recent COVID-19 interviews that might be impactful for your business. Check it out at agnewsdaily.com or find us on any podcast where you get your podcasts, including Apple Play, Google Play, excuse me, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. But you can also connect with us on social media. Find us at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 